welcome to another episode of Winging It F1 podcast. It's the day after the season opener of the 2021 season. And wow, what an incredible race it was. And with me to talk about it all, including the bit of a little bit of controversy during the race. Uh, it's Freddie Coates and Adam Dickinson. Yes, no wild introduction for once from me. How are you guys doing after... Just an extraordinary event. It it was extraordinary. I am I'm still kind of buzzing. I I was riding a high all last night writing articles about it, and I'm still riding that high this morning when we're recording the podcast. So, wow! I don't think we've had a better season opener that I can remember that I've watched live. I don't think there's been a better season opener. I think I agree. I'm trying to remember just a race that lived up to the hype around it yeah. or exceeded the hype around it because this certainly did after we'd been very excited on our season preview and Bahrain previews. This was what we needed and what we wanted. I think what we all dreamed of, but I don't know how much any of us expected that it would actually happen. And yeah, to have a battle for lead coming down to the last lap Oh, it's just incredible. Mm, absolutely. Uh, before we talk about the mad, mad battle between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, we just want to say thank you for the recent and all the support from the last, what, eight months we started doing this podcast. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Some lovely words on social media and through messages to us. Uh, yeah, we just massively appreciate it we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's watching or listening to this cast uh yeah yeah i've been out of everything unless you guys want to add anything no i think there's plenty to talk about in the race but yeah just echo that it is genuinely nice seeing the messages coming through on twitter and all of that so yeah thank you to everyone who is sending those nice messages yeah we we, we genuinely are shocked that people want to send those messages. People take the time out to listen to this podcast, watch this podcast, whatever you choose to do. And it's, it's absolutely lovely. Cause yeah, we put a, we put a lot of work into it and um, we're not doing it for the praise. We're doing it because we love F1 and we want to talk about F1. And the fact that people want to listen to us is, is mad. Surprising. So, yeah. <laughs> what can we add? But thanks so much. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you are listening, well, get ready for the next half an hour or so because it's going to be about Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, I think, for most of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where do we start? It was just, it's the battle we've been waiting for. We've seen it a few times in the last couple of years Hungary 2019, Monaco as well that year. But I think this battle has to be the best one they've had. Just an incredible race long duel. Yeah, just it's as you say, it's what we've all been waiting for, and it it looks. I didn't think Verstappen. I think from Saturday, I thought Verstappen would win, but then once the strategy started going off, I thought, oh, you know, I I do back Hamilton to make this work, and it just seemed a ridiculously non-meta strategy from Mercedes and. I still kind of don't understand it completely, really. I don't understand how Hamilton seemingly had the worst car and the strange strategy and it still just came together completely at the end. And yeah, 
it was it was incredible to watch and I think the best thing is that we've got another 23 or 22 races of this potentially and yeah it's it's really exciting looking ahead to the season and like you say it's what we were wanted they were trading blows throughout the race and it you know the momentum swings in it were just incredible I think from Saturday onwards really it was mad um to see how happy and surprised Lewis Hamilton was at the end of the race that he was able to keep pace in the opening stint with Max Verstappen. And that's really, I think, where the race was won because he was able to keep pace so they could go, they could try and dictate a strategy that was contrary to the rebel strategy, which is what they did, which is what gave them the track position because of the numerous undercuts they did. It was still a two-stop, but it was done um, in the opposite way on the hard strategies to Verstappen. And it was... It was it was good. Mercedes went out fighting. They could have easily gone on and done and you know copied Verstappen, but they went out fighting and um, tried. Their, they tried to um, put two cars in track position ahead of Verstappen. Unfortunately, they botched the second pit stop for Bottas. But if they had if they hadn't, then Verstappen would have um, gone along and come out in third and would have had to have passed two Mercedes to get to the win. And they could have got a one-two out of this Mercedes. They, I think, they did a pretty flawless strategy apart from botching Bottas's pit stop frankly if they hadn't done that I reckon it could have been it probably would have been the same result but there would have been an even harder mountain to climb for Verstappen at the end of the race yeah, yeah I, th- I think I agree with that yeah Adam okay um, yeah I don't know it just it felt like the strategy was kind of completely reactive and he didn't do a very long stint on uh, first stint on the hards and it looked like initially when they undercut Verstappen in the first pit stop then they were you know they had kind of seized the initiative and gained the advantage but then Verstappen's pace um, after his first stop was just mega and he kind of completely et into that to the point where Mercedes then had to do a kind of preemptive undercut again and it I don't, at that stage I just didn't see how Hamilton would be able to keep the, you know, stretch the tyres to the end over nearly 30 laps and keep the pace up to, you know, out, out race Verstappen. But yeah, it I just think, somehow worked for them. I think for me at that stage, I was thinking that Hamilton was going for a three-stop and would go on to either a set of um, new softs at the end or mediums even and do what Verstappen did and try and, do the close-up like he did in Hungary 2019, do a late pit stop and then fly and overtake. And how quick, how many laps did it take for Verstappen to close up a like 13, 14 second gap? It was like 10 laps. Yeah. So I kind of think, I thought at that point when they did the the um, second pit stop and they had like 30, 25 laps to go, I thought they were going to do a 10 lap dash from Mercedes and try and get him on the last lap. Um, but... And then they played it out in in the way that Ferrari tried to do a couple of years ago and won with Vettel, where they just stayed out and were like, you know what, we're not going to pit, whatever. And and that won the race for Ferrari. Admittedly, Vettel was being chased by Bottas. But anyway, um, they, they, they forced the hand of Red Bull in such a way that <laughs> Red Bull had to compete and Red Bull couldn't control the race. And that's that's not what you want when, you, when you're leading. You don't want. They just. Yeah. Ha- it's always going to be in the back of your mind. But when do you pit? When do you pit? And 
and you've got to pass, you've got to pass. And yeah, they're two fantastic, the Zappens are a fantastic overtaker, but Lewis Hamilton's a brilliant defender, as we saw. And yeah. that win, as much as, it, as much as we're talking about the strategy here, that win is down to Hamilton not being passed in two laps, but not being passed for four laps and then forcing the only opportunity for Max to overtake. He defended with all his might and didn't, didn't give him room because he knew that he didn't need to give him room. Like Hamilton gave Albon room in the first race of the season last year and Albon drove into the side of him and spun off. I'm blaming Albon for that. But um, Hamilton gave him enough room on the track. So this Hamilton knows what he can do and he forced Verstappen wide and forced him to have to give the position back. This is a Lewis Hamilton win as much as a strategy win. I mean, Up later, Freddie talks about how it was Ocon's fault for moving under braking <laughs> in the Sebastian Vessel crash. But yeah, um, I, I just think it showed the importance of track position and strategy, even at a track like Bahrain, where it is easy to overtake. Sorry, Nigel. Yeah. There's so many points I want to make that uh, you guys have touched on there. And I think I completely agree with Freddie. I think this was one of those wins, kind of like what we saw in Turkey or Portugal last year, which only Lewis Hamilton could do to get 28 laps out of those hard tires was just magical on a track that's so tough on the tires like you Freddie I thought they were going to try a free stop as well but to keep the pace he had he made one small error at turn 10 when he went a little bit deep Uh, but other than that to somehow keep the tires in the right temperature range and keep it going keep the pace at the end to just hold off for Stappen was quite unbelievable but to even put himself in that position in the first stint or two was phenomenal was just yeah just amazing really and it's kind of mad that people are thinking oh they should put George Russell in the car to replace Hamilton because he he can do that well I think we know exactly why Hamilton gets paid the big bucks and why Mercedes need him it's for it's for days like on Sunday where only he can pull off that performance in a, in a car that was I'd say equal to to Verstappen's Red Bull, it was just fantastic, and he and yeah, Verstappen will learn a lot about the move, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit. But on the strategy point, I I kind of think we can even go all the way back to practice three when the when the teams decide what tires they want to take into qualifying and the race. You're allowed to take seven sets of tires. Mercedes decided to go with two hard, uh, two sets of hard tire. So two sets of hard tires, whereas Red Bull only had one, which kind of which meant Mercedes were always going to make the first pit stop early, knowing that Red Bull didn't have two sets of hard tires because they had the mediums, which doesn't go as long. So they pulled off the strategy perfectly, and I think Red Bull's mistake, where else, where it was lost in in strategy, is that perhaps they should have been the first team. They should have. Yeah, they they should have pitted first, I think, even though they had to go onto the mediums for the second stint. Yes, it would have been a long uh, stint on those medium tyres in the in the in the middle of the race, but they would have had track position. And with these cars we've got, even though it is Bahrain, I think track position wins, and we saw that at the end. So I think Red Bull should have pitted first rather than Mercedes. I think. Yeah, I think it's a really difficult one. I think you saw how Mercedes handled that when Hamilton was in front and they called him in to kind of, as we say, preempt the undercut. But really, it it did feel like come 
after both of them had made their second pit stops, the, the sta- it was advantage for Verstappen. I think it's only the fact that they were racing a driving card on the day that they, you know, that they came and stuck because I think under against eight, the 18 of the drivers on the grid, they win that. I think it was just the fact that it is Lewis Hamilton and that Verstappen went a touch wide on the overtake and wasn't able to get that done because, you know, if he waited a bit longer or whatever, you know, it did feel like Hamilton was very, very under pressure on that lap and he just made the mistake a couple of laps previous, I think that was probably the decisive point of the race more than the strategy calls for me. I think Red Bull sticking to their strategy was the right thing to do. Um, I think they've been burnt before by trying to get track position. Um, and they've also been, you know, and everyone has, but um, it's kind of like they know that this is a track that you're more likely to pass out than not pass out. And if you're a faster car, then even at a slow track, you're more likely to pass than not pass. Like Hungary 2019, you brought up earlier, that's not an overtaking track. But this strategy with a fast car closing in won the race for Mercedes in 2019. So it's it's that kind of perception, that, that perspective that, um, well, we're going to have a monster lick of pace with three DRS zones, two of them actually meaning something, and we're going to be able to use, you know, turn four overtake as a kind of a slam dunk, you'd think, as a strategist. And as a viewer, I think we all thought that was a slam dunk um, win for Verstappen when he was closing at 1.2 seconds a lap. I think it, it was going to be a, something otherworldly to end this race with a Mercedes victory. And that's what happened, really. If, I think, if, Dave, yeah. if Red Bull pitted first, though, I don't see how Hamilton gets past. I don't see what mm. Mercedes could have done. I think Red Bull would have almost snookered them in a way by doing that. If Red Bull pitted first, Bottas wouldn't have pitted and all of that kind of jazz. And there would have been there'd been so many more things going into play. It's not as simple as yeah. Red Bull undercutting and uh, not even undercutting, um, keeping track position and winning. There's so many more things that come into play. Mm, maybe you never know, in well, my opinion. But I think yeah, yeah you're right. He would, he would have helped. He would have held the position on Hamilton if Hamilton reacted. But whether Hamilton reacted and just did what Max tried to do, we don't know. Mm, yeah, we'll see. I, th- I think also, away from the move and track limits, I think when in the final stint, Verstappen's engineer, he told him to take it easy on the first few laps to save his tyres to attack Hamilton. I think that might have been mistake as well. I think Verstappen should have just pumped in five quick laps to get straight on the back and then give him more laps, more chances uh, to attack Hamilton and his tyres would have still been pretty good I think in, in good condition whereas what he did was he kind of slowly closed the gap. I think that was a mistake personally. Uh, uh, can't call it at the time really. Um, right. <laughs> it Close how you want to close. If you're going to close, you're going to close. If you can't pass, you can't pass. Whether, whether well, you just can goes go back and have another go. Racing instincts, I feel. But he was he was going going he was going easy, but he was still going a second a lap faster. It's it's like how much faster could he have gone? Like maybe what two or three tenths faster. He was wasn't he wasn't saving much in the tires probably anyway. It, I think his racing instincts, as much as he probably would have, you know, not 
gone hammer and tongue full full pelt straight away, but that's just because it's cold tyres anyway. And I think he is, you know, against Hamilton, who's one of the best defenders, one of the best racers in the business, and he knows all the tricks. I think Verstappen had to get to Hamilton with something left, and if he burnt all his rubber, you know, burnt a significant amount of his rubber before he'd got to Hamilton, you know, it would have been more difficult. And I think, you know, again, I think it comes... It just comes down to the fact that he floated a bit wide on the actual overtake. I think everything they'd done up to that point had got him in a fantastic position to win the race. And, you know, ultimately it was, you know, it was a matter of feet. But, you know, I think to me that was it. It's like the hindsight of um, should he have let him pass at a different point in the track when he gave the position back? Should he have carried on and tried to build up a five-second gap? No. Max did the right thing to do. He was told, Rebel were told by race control, according to Team Radio at the end of the race, that um, they had to give the position back. So what did they do? They immediately give the position back. That's what you do. And they, Rebel did everything in that concept, in that consequence, right. Because if they would waited and stuff like that, then who knows what would have happened. If they had tried to build out a penalty, um, then not only would they have got a five-second penalty, it would have been five-second, because that's what Yuri Vips got in... F2 for a turn four um, extension overtake, leaving the track and gaining a lasting advantage. Um, but um, what is different to that would have been dis- disobeying a direct order from race control, which could have come down like a ton of bricks on them. So it that's that's been done to perfection. As soon as there was an opportunity to give the position back to Lewis, he gave the position back. So mm. yeah, he would have dirtied his tyres, but he was... He was within three tenths at turn eleven on the final lap, so he, he was still he was still fighting and he still forced and that's all that's what Rebel needed to do and that's what they did do and they fought for the victory and they came second. But if they had come first um, on track in a legitimate way, then they would have deserved it as much as Hamilton deserved it as well. They they did they we can sit here and pick holes in their strategy and everything as we are um as, as as is our right for the to do to the second place finisher but they were in the position fighting for the win for a good six or seven laps from the end of the race so that's a good strategy in my books mm, yeah. I, th- I think for me looking at it it's just a fantastic race between two drivers and teams who did nearly everything right and that was just decided by such small margins you know, in the decisive moment. And that's what we want from F1. That is ex- that is exactly the kind of racing we want. And two teams on different strategies, two drivers that are absolutely generational talents, more than that. And yeah, I think both teams did the best that they could have done with the information that they had and the data that they'd gathered through the weekend. And it looked like Red Bull were the faster car and that they would be able to get it done. And yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic race. And the fact that we're able to go back now and and pour over such an amazing battle for lead is just brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the track limits controversy then. Uh, For me, Hmm. it's just a loophole in the rules that that has allowed Lewis Hamilton to, go off the track 29 times <laughs> and Verstappen didn't or Red Bull didn't use it for whatever reason uh, I believe Charles Leclerc knew about it he said uh, during the weekend I think after qualifying 
So for whatever reason, Red Bull missed out on that opportunity, and it was probably pretty costly because you gain up. Say, let's say, say you gain one tenth, possibly even a bit more, but one tenth over twenty nine maps. That's two point nine seconds, which yeah. is huge. That's a funding uh, change. So, so does anyone well, want to explain why Hamilton didn't get penalised and why Verstappen did? Yeah, I can give a crack at it. It's the the steward sent something out before the race saying that they'd relaxed the um, regulations on the turn four, running over the line at turn four. But they also said within that, that you have to um, respect the sporting regulation that says you can't overtake anyone off track. So that's it. It was not allowed in practice and qualifying. And they relaxed that for the race in terms of, getting your lap in and racing around, but you still cannot overtake someone off the track. And that, you know, that's pretty fundamental to F1. So yeah, that was it. It's, as you say, it's a loophole and it's a irregularity and it, it's annoying because it does, you know, take a tiny bit away from, from this race because there are a lot of people and, who won't have seen that and, you know, a lot of fans who won't understand it. And that's what, not what F1 needs in already quite a complex sport. But yeah, as Freddie said, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's a loophole. Oh, sorry. Nigel said it's a loophole. And it's, I I have just said it's a loophole and it's a marginal gain and it's what teams need to exploit. And if you're, in the race that we've already said has come down to such fine margins, that's a massive thing. And for Verstappen and Red Bull not to have noticed that or not to have used that to their advantage, I think has cost them. And it's the type of thing that everything like that teams need to be looking at in such a tight battle to see where they can get a bit of time. And you saw Mercedes put Bottas out at the end to get the fastest lap and that took it away from Verstappen. And that's just one point, but it's that type of thing that over the season, those all build up and that can prove the difference between winning and losing a title at the end of it. Yeah, Rebel um, cottoned onto it and started doing it themselves, to be honest. Um, and then Race Control decided to cotton onto it and say, oh no, you're doing this, which we said is allowed and you're not allowed to do it. And, they, and Hamilton had a, had a race match saying you'll get a black and white flag, which could lead to a penalty. And it's, that's the stinger for me. Um is that it seemed to be policed halfway through the race when yeah. it was brought up on commentary and brought up by Red Bull, not when it was um, when it was happening. Um, and it is a loophole, and it is oh, our rivals are doing this, so we're going to do it, and that's allowed, and that is how Formula One should be run. And that's that's you know, if you go back to like seventies and eighties, there's some fantastic stories of like, um, like, oh well, our rivals did it, so we thought it was fine to do, and then like. Um, filling their car with water so it was over, so it was maxed max, match the minimum weight and then just pouring all the water out when they got to the formation lab and then running a really underweight car and then filling it up again at the end because they were allowed to do it and this is the it's that kind of thing it's it's pushing the rules to their absolute boundaries because the rules boundaries are so wrong and hazy um like what you should really have is a sensor there which says um oh look this person you put the sensor, say, in the middle of the car or have a sensor on the right-hand side or the left-hand side of the car, that kind of thing. And then you can have a sensor in the track and you can correspond that. And you can know, oh, well, that sensor's crossed, so that's 
tick, a strike, strike, strike. Oh, look at that, five-second penalty. And it will become silly for one race, and then it will be sorted for every other race after that. Imola last year, we're going to Imola in a couple of weeks' time. Alex Albon, well, everyone, everyone went right wide at Piratella in practice. Now, lap time deleted, 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 deleted. So everyone decided not to go wide at Piratella. And like one or two drivers, I think Kvyat got a penalty and someone else got a penalty for it or something like that. Well, no, Kvyat was portum out. But anyway, it's that kind of thing. Like some drivers went wide and got penalised and other drivers just didn't go wide because they would get a penalty. So they have the capability. And I was watching Lewis's lines after he had the, the, the message warning him about it and he wasn't going wide anymore because they have the capability to do that. It's in, entirely in control of the drivers. Yeah. So penalise it and it will be fine. The problem I have is why did they change the rules mid-race? And the thing is, Michael Massey, yeah. race director, said they didn't change the rules mid-race, but they clearly did because <laughs> Hamilton was told to stop doing it. It just doesn't make sense. And it's a massive, massive downfall from the FIA, I think. I mean, imagine in football, say, uh, the the white lines on the edges. Right, We're, we're going to move that back after half-time so then the pitch is going to be two metres wider or two metres shorter, narrower. You just wouldn't get that. I don't understand. Like either you allow it all race or you don't allow it all race. Yet they just changed the game, really, halfway through. And I also don't get how come in qualifying you, you weren't allowed to go outside of the track limits, but in the race you could. You just, where is the consistency? There was absolutely none. And that's what I'm disappointed about really because I think it, it it did spoil the race and I think Adam's Adam made a great point that millions of fans out there probably won't understand why yeah Hamilton was going out there why didn't he get penalized etc I think that there needs something seriously needs to be done to to stop that happening again because he just cannot change the rules mid-race which is what I'm sure happened even though uh, Michael Massey said it didn't Bizarrely. I think it it's just decisions under pressure. To me, it just feels like a slight panic and they think, oh no, how will this look? Let's stop yeah. it. And then it, it's just that and not thinking about the consequences, I guess. It feels a bit like um, in the Cricket World Cup final two years ago now, which, Christ, that feels a long time ago. And <laughs> the... Super over, and then it was at the end of the super over. It's just the rule that whoever has the most boundaries over the game wins, and that kind of felt like a rule that they just written down at the time because they thought, Oh, no one's ever gonna score this, have the same amount of runs in the game, and then score the same amount in the super over. And it's not going to be in a world cup final, and then it didn't. They just kind of threw it in because they didn't think about all of the consequences. Well, no, not like in the game, but when they wrote at the like rules oh, in the first place. It's just, it's just yeah, in that's, complete, that's fine it, then, isn't it? No, but it just feels like the same thing that they've thought, oh, it'll be fine. We'll just throw it in. And then, yeah, it's very not, obviously. At least well, there's a rule in the cricket. Yeah. It's, it's very true. clear. It, it's black and white, whereas this isn't. I mean, it was yeah, black and white once they brought it in. Red and white just... and grey and <laughs> desert and track and what? And all of that. So it feels to me like they just don't have enough stewards. Just get a steward. Just get like I don't know a team of stewards, and have them like oh we're going to police track limits on this corner, this corner, this corner because it's not going to be an issue in any other corner, 
and get a steward to stand there and go tick 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 when a card does it and if if they they probably could try and do that but i mean the FIA strapped for money on paying for stewards. Is it because a steward finds it boring to police track limits? They're like, oh no, I don't want to police track limits. Like, oh, all right, we're not going to do it this weekend. I'll do it. <laughs> Go on, you do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch the race. But see, so, yeah, it's a boring thing. So someone deal with it, please. <laughs> so we had the track limits incident and then Verstappen was ordered to give the position back, the lead back. And I think that is where he made... A mistake. One, he went off off the racing line, so he got his tyres dirty. And two, he did it too early in the lap. He should have done it in between the straight between the penultimate corner and the last corner, because then he could have just got him back down the next main straight. I think. So, yeah, I think he, he'll learn a lot from that. I feel because if you are going to let someone by, you should just lift off and make them go onto the dirty part of the track. And I think that that was possibly another area where Verstappen lost the race if, if we are nitpicking, which I am, it seems. <laughs> yeah, you got a big slide on going just going onto that straight that you were yeah. talking about. And yeah, I think both drivers made kind of uncharacteristic mistakes, which I think to me just shows the amount of pressure that they were under. Mm. You don't see Hamilton doing that against Bottas and you know you wouldn't see Verstappen doing that against Ricardo last season or whatever I think to me that just yeah it shows how much of a high pressure situation it was and the fact that both of their mistakes were so small really in the grand scheme of things you know they were both able to continue and cost them I think tenths or you know to half a second rather than seconds or spinning round and throwing away the race I think to me, that's maybe the most incredible thing about it. But yeah, I, I agree. He there are things he could have done better, and I think we'll learn from that. And that's you know the experience of being your first title fight rather than Hamilton's tenth or whatever reason. Yeah, I mean he, he could have done a um, Hamilton Raikkonen Spa two thousand and eight move where he just let him pass them, pass them immediately, like you do on the F one game, that kind of thing. Um, but it's like. Where he was on the track, he kind of—I kind of get the impression that they wanted him to give the place back pretty quickly. Um, so I kind of think, mm, just get it over and done with, and then, yeah, you're not going to overtake into turn eleven, but you can—that's where the Red Bull's fastest. That's where you can get closer, rather than going slowly into the back straight and into the pit lane and then being offline for the long DRS straight. Maybe even giving Hamilton DRS then, then he can, depending on how it happens, then. Um, he can at least be close through turn 11, 12, 13, which is where the Rebel was fastest all weekend, and try and be closer then on the pit straight and have another go at turn four the next lap. And I kind of think it opens up more opportunities for the immediate rather than, um, you know, two or three laps down the line, because that would have been lap 54 by the time they'd gone round on that loop. There's, there wasn't much time left in the race. I kind of think he just wanted to get... The, the handing of handing over the return of the position done as soon as we could get back on the charge even quicker. And it's, I mean, maybe it would have been better, but maybe not. We don't know. His yeah. tyres were shot anyway. We've well, got a rapid decision yeah. from the stewards yeah. as well. Like, he well, yeah, they... turn four, and then he's letting him by after turn nine. 
it's like yeah we it, that's there's, good <laughs> there's a lot of berration against stewards a lot of the time for slow decisions but like how quick i think when it yeah. we've said it already when it's obvious like they had they could have just gone on board with the second gone did he go off what were you looking at max Verstappen watcher he went off cool rebel he's gone off give the position back rebel max give the position back mm. max i'll give him the position back that's it and that was it what five or six seconds so but yeah but you know to go from the overtake happening mm. then to make the decision tell red bull red bull to tell max and you know not mm. argue with it or um negotiate over it at all to yeah. just go from max overtaking him to giving the position back that quickly with the decision from race control involved is just it's a bit mind-boggling really I think fair play to Rebel for doing it really quickly as well, mm. I think. It's um it's one of those things that if you're told to give the position back by your team, that's one of those like red line do it kind of things. Mm. And he did it. It would have been that's what I said mentioned earlier, it would have been fine to ignore and get a five second penalty, but don't want a race to be decided by a five second penalty first race of the year, that kind of stuff. Whether he would have got it, we don't know, but I don't I don't think he would. Um, there was only three or four laps. It probably would have been four and a half seconds, four seconds, um, mm. if anything. And he's ignored a direct I steward's decision for it. that. I don't see it personally. I reckon they would have. I reckon they would have head after the overtake. And the Red Bull's so good for the middle sector. And Hamilton in the, in the dirty air. I think he would have dropped well off. I really do. I just. I mean, on the I flip side, he gets at least a lap of. DRS, I reckon. I he was already know. outside it, I think, by the time he gave the position back. Right, well, it's it's um, yeah. it's something. Sorry, I'm being really like pedantic. <laughs> it no, it's fine. That's the kind of thing. It's something we're um not going to know, and it's something I'm happy we're not going to know. We just think giving the position back was the right thing. That is, that is, you know, that's sport, sportsmanship in race in racing. So. Yeah, uh, I think we've talked about Hamilton and Verstappen quite a bit. We'll have plenty of time to talk about them over the next few weeks and the build-up to the next race in Imola. But just, what well, again, an incredible race. There, were, there was nothing left on the table, both on the limit or race. As flat out as you can get in modern F1, you know, <laughs> the two probably the two top drivers of the sport going at it lap after lap after lap trying not to make a mistake trying to nail every apex pick up the throttle as early as they can trying to outfox each other multiple pit stops in there it was just an incredible season opening race and hopefully we get more of it uh me and adam have already disagreed a bit before this on valtteri bottas and how good his weekend was adam thinks it wasn't good i actually think it was all right and it was just yeah. You know, in terms of his driver performance, I don't think I think third was was an okay result to start his twenty twenty one season. I think we kind of looked at it through different prisms. So you were looking at it through a driver rating style context of how his weekend went and how his race went. I think I was looking at it for my winners and losers piece, which will hopefully be on last lap. Lastdashlap.co.uk when this comes out, that he, it, it's just a position he kind of leaves Bahrain as. It feels like he's 
uh, aid to Hamilton winning the Drivers' Championship and Mercedes winning the Constructors' Championship already, it doesn't feel like, compared to last season where we came away from Austria, won, thinking, oh, we could actually have a title fight. We did an episode on it, or at least discussed it in the review, that he came away and it looked like, oh, he's at least going to be the closer challenger and could could he actually, you know, take it to the final few races? What and he didn't. Is. But I think this, this year it's like he's, it just feels like he's already out of that and he's already just secondary to the main, the main story. I don't one think race, that. man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one race and that, but I kind of think Bottas had good, really good moments and kind of shoddy moments and like he could have done a bit of a, probably a bit of a better start um, because he ended up behind Leclerc. If he didn't end up behind Leclerc, I think, there'd be an entirely different perception of his race because he would have been um, a second and a half, two seconds behind Hamilton, which is where you've got to be to keep your tyres in a good state rather than three or four seconds, which is where he was. But he kept pace and he was... Show, he was At one point, he was closing on both Hamilton and Verstappen, was Bossas. His pace was up there with the other two and it was all race. And I kind of think, yeah, if he, if he had not been hampered by... Charles Leclerc being a fantastic driver, then he would have been more of a more of a cog in the race in the in the story of the race. And I think that was unfortunately um, what undid Bottas's race was a, was another Mercedes pit stop issue. Which I don't know. Martin Brundle jumped on that straight away, going like, "Oh, is this a thing to do with the heat or something in Bahrain?" It's like, no, it's not. It's just. A, coincidence that it happened in Sakir Grand Prix as well it's just a bad pit stop I think but it's just it was it was an awful pit stop and they put the card down when they should have picked it up Talking and all of that 2019 that was yeah, tropical that was very tropical um, and it's just like that's what undid Bottas's race otherwise he would have been well up there at the end and he would have been a couple of seconds. I mean, with a battling Hamilton and Verstappen, he would have been a second behind them probably if he didn't yeah, have the pit stop. So he, he had the, and he probably would have been there to pick up the pieces when they went wide at turn four. Bottas could have been in the fight for the lead. Um, so, I think Bottas had, had a good weekend. It wasn't supreme because he wasn't in the fight for the win. But if he was in the fight for the win, then we, who knows? Maybe he could have pulled off something special. Uh, more likely not than would have done. But based on re- previous races. But I think, you know, still an A performance or something for me. Do you think it's going to be a three-way title fight this year? Because at the moment, all we've spoken about is Hamilton Verstappen. That's been all of the chat coming out of it. We don't know yet. It'd be great if it was. It'd be really interesting if it was. Um, I don't think it will be, though. I think there's... (sighs) If um, you're beating your teammate, Bottas has got a harder teammate to beat than Verstappen, and that's it, really. I don't think it'll be a three-way fight, but I don't see how you can rule him out of contention after one race. Say Hamilton came second, Verstappen. I mean, came it's first. not just one race; Three... it's four years, four seasons at Mercedes, and the testing, and this weekend. And it's to do; it's as much to do with Red Bull are the real deal, and we've seen that now. And I think the way Bottas the got on the way Bottas got onto that pace because he was all right in testing because he understood how to drive that car a bit better than. Hamilton did to get some clean laps into it. Um, and But his practice sessions this weekend were not good. And the way he's built up the, that car this weekend to be at the pace he was in the race, it's actually really admirable from Bottas there. Um, 
And that's I'd, that's because of how difficult the Mercedes was on Friday and Saturday morning. I I just think if Bottas wins the next race or finishes ahead of Hamilton or Hamilton as a as a problem and he does he doesn't score any points, he, you know you still can't say Bottas is out of championship yes. contention. I think he did everything he could really. I don't see how he could have done better than third on Sunday. And if that and if he's maximising his results, even if it's not a win. You can't ask for more, I don't think. I think it's too yeah, early to it, talk it, about championship. Way too early. You're right. <laughs> it's. I think. Well, two things. Firstly, what are the chances that Bottas turns up and does dominate Hamilton and Verstappen at Imola? I think from all we've seen, I don't know. I just, I just don't the see it. And as, I, I don't. I don't see him mm. being being a player in the fight in his own right, I think it will be how he affects the other two drivers. And again, it, it's not, I'm not saying he had a bad performance over the weekend. I think it's just the context around it that he'll have come into it. Hoping... So he's always a loser. <laughs> no, he wasn't a loser this time last year or this race last year. Yeah, but he was fortunate last year. last year, wasn't he, with what happened to Hamilton and stuff, you know? Yeah, he's fortunate that he went wide in qualifying. Um, you got five but he also drove well. He also drove well to keep Hamilton behind. Yeah, he, he, drove well, he drove well he yesterday. Drove well this weekend, I think. Well, he drove very well. Um, it, it's too early to talk about title fight. Who knows what happens? Maybe Hamilton and Verstappen both have reliability in the next few races. We have no idea. So, it's, it's gonna, I, I think it would be fantastic if somehow Bottas is leading because that would be even more insane. And it's completely come out of nowhere. And I'm all here for that. Who knows what's going to happen? And um, we've got 22 races still to run in this championship title fight. Only one of us, I can't remember who thinks it will finish at Abu Dhabi. But, you know, I'm leaning towards that as well. And why not? Let's, um, let's, let's just let them race and see what happens. All right. Yeah. Me and Adam will resume. Oh, go on, Adam. Last point. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, yeah, it was going to be rounded out in the same way that you did. But I think we're going to be seeing team orders this season from Mercedes and probably from Red Bull as well. It's going to be that. Right. I'm not going to argue game. with that because we're going to, we're, we've already done, what, 40 minutes. We need to, we need to talk about other drivers. We'll talk we've about that. We've like um, got to give like a sentence on, every, on, on everyone. And that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had Ferrari versus McLaren in the battle for the next best team outside Red Bull and Mercedes. It's kind of a uh, going back to, what, 10 years ago when McLaren and Ferrari were at the front, but this time it's for fifth place on, or fourth and fifth place in the race. And I think it's great that those two teams are back. Yeah, 2014. I forgot about that. But yeah, yeah it's, it's great to see those two teams are back and it's going to be a great battle all year, all year long, it looks like. I agree. It's McLaren are yeah. oh, carrying on from where they left off, um, which is good. I've, I I would like to say how impressed I was with Lando Norris this weekend um, because he's he's really got that is his team actually. To be fair to him, that's his team. That's Daniel Ricciardo's coming in. Um, he said he's in a better position than where he was with Renault when he started at Renault. To be fair, um, so that shows how good and impressive and impressive a job Lando Norris has done. This weekend to be comfortably ahead of Ricardo and everything apart from like what four thousandths or four hundredths in qualifying, um, and that's it. So that's the, I think the only session, maybe FP three as well, where 
Ricardo got ahead of Norris. And in the race, Ricardo was just having issue after issue with trying to figure out how to drive that car. Yeah, Norris has got two years on him on that, but he used it and did really well there. Leclerc, again, as well, <laughs> stunning drive. Um, yeah, both of those teams, like you say, it's it's good to see them picking up from issues they've had in the past. McLaren a few years ago, Ferrari last year. And, you know, they've got their band their heads together and sorted something out. Yeah, there's another pair that I put as my winners, which has just dropped. So that gives <laughs> the viewers a little insight into when we are recording this podcast. But yeah, I <laughs> I was really impressed by both of them. They locked out the top eight and just seemed to be a step above the rest the rest of their competitors and the midfield, we still don't know kind of exactly what guys the midfield is at the moment. But yeah, I think with Lando and Daniel, it feels too early to tell, really. It's one race into their partnership as a team and it's Lando's team at the moment, but there's a lot of races to come and Mm. Ricardo is just getting on top of the car and he's already up to a solid speed if he's able to finish seventh so yeah I I think it's a definite watch this space for for this battle but it's it's good that it, they are so fast and that together they're so competitive and the, you know the Mercedes in the car is working well mm. they've you know didn't seem to be any hiccups with that so far or at least on this weekend so and Ferrari they've really turned it around Fair play to them. Fair play to Carlos Sainz, um, holding a candle to Leclerc all weekend, apart from in Q3, where he said he admitted he made too many mistakes. And I was like, fair enough, Carlos. You've you've admitted your mistake. You've admitted your mistakes, and he's there as a team player. I get I get such an impression from Carlos this weekend that he's there to to join the team, not there to try and get one over on Leclerc every weekend. He's there to be a member of Ferrari, and I think that's really properly mature approach, really a proper mature approach from Carlos Sainz. And I was think he's, he's performed fantastically and I'm really, I'm way more excited for his season than I was coming into this weekend now. Mm. Yeah, Particularly Norris, when I predicted uh, he wouldn't score points. <laughs> yes. That's, that's already gone Not out the window. <laughs> Literally, as we hear. Uh, but yeah, My world crashing around me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a bit like the key to Mazepin, but we'll get on to him later. Oh, uh, with Norris, we will. <laughs> That's re... oh god, why did I say that? Sorry, I'll start again. With Norris, I think it was really good to see that he was aggressive, you know, and, and especially at, at the start because last year some of his starts were really poor. He lost, you know, four or five positions at quite a few Grand Prix last year, but. Uh, in Bahrain, he, he had a little wheel-to-wheel battle with Ricardo, came out on top, managed to stay ahead of Leclerc after he overtook him. So it was good to see that he was attacking and he's, he's bedding in well with the with the car. I think Ricardo will come good as well. In fact, I think it's a really good start uh, for for him being in, being in a new team and science as well. Uh, apart from that moment in Q3, he was really on par with, with Leclerc throughout the weekend and he only finished I think seven or eight seconds behind Leclerc despite being having more traffic uh, in the race so I think that's a really good effort from sides uh, 
and he'll continue to push Leclerc on. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's my bit on the Ferrari and McLaren drivers. I think it, it is going to be interesting, interesting to see how they go on other tracks. But the four drivers we just talked about there, well, they'll, they'll all be pushing each other and it'll be a really good scrap. Further down in the points, we had Yuki Tsunoda, his first World Championship points in 4-1. Uh, didn't quite make it to Q3, unfortunately. It would have been really exciting to see him in qualified. But nevertheless, it was a pretty good start for a rookie. Yes, first points for a Japanese driver on debut. First points for a Japanese driver since 2012. Um, first points on debut since Stoffel van Dorn at Bahrain when he subbed for Alonso. Um, First points for a Japanese driver at Bahrain since Takuma Sato, as we discussed yes. last episode. What a drive from Yuki in the race. Um, his start was really bad, which is fine because he's a rookie. But the way he came back from that to get to ninth was impressive, I think. Because he, he, could, he could have been way off and got mired at the back like a few other drivers did. Um, but he came through the field and he kept his head cool, and he just did a fantastic job. And what he was saying at the end of the race about um, not not getting flustered at all, but still finding it really cool when he was racing Fernando Alonso, his dad's hero, Fernando Alonso, um, and he just pit, he was racing him, and he's like, oh, I saw how he was managing the tyres, how he was going yeah. using the car in some corners. So when I overtook him, I tried to do that, and it worked out better for my car. So I carried on doing that. It's like, what an impressive young man. Fantastic job from Yuki Tsunoda. I think there's, he's going to, if we look at his rate of um, learning, then he's going to learn, okay, well, I've got to be more aggressive at the start. So he will be more aggressive at the start. And then he'll be more aggressive in the race because he'll know what to do with the car more so as it goes. And I think this guy is impressed. We were all so excited for Yuki Tsunoda. And this guy's impressed me even with high standards. He's got the best cap out of anyone in the field. <laughs> It works so well. Just a little like Japanese, yeah, flag on his uh, on the underside of the bill. Yeah, bill. he's <laughs> looking good. What? What? I don't know. What do you call the cap? It? Isn't that the cap? That's the cap what of the, the hat. Things the cap. Yeah, that's that's bit would be called the cap of the hat. Wow. A bill it's is great. Same. I love bill. It should be bill. It's a bill, like a duck yeah. bill. Yeah, but on the hat. Anyway, we're getting distracted. It was a great drive. Second in Q1, which was <laughs> quite incredulous when it happened. And He's not supposed to be there. No, it, it was It was just a really strong weekend. And we've spoken already about how he's able to adapt. And he's shown that again. I think the Alpha Terry looks, as we discussed, it might look to kind of maybe a shade below what we, the kind of ceiling that seemed to be possible from testing. But it's still... A decent competitor and Gasly didn't he had a great Saturday, didn't have a amazing Sunday, yeah. which we might get on to talk about later, but Sonoda's really showed that he's he's gonna make it a teammate fight and he's gonna be a player over the season and it can take a very long time to score your first points in F one. Just ask some people on the grid now. But he's done it straight away and really happy for him and exciting. It's another drive where it's exciting to see where they can go over the season. Yeah, I feel Alpha Tauri, though, while Sonoda's debut was good, I think they missed out on the big chance yeah. to be yeah. in that Ferrari McLaren fight, especially Gasly with uh, 
driver error, I'd say. I think it was his fault running into the back Great. of Ricardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope, you know, if the season is close at the end and Alpha Tauri are in that midfield fight, they might look back at Barring and think we could have been, what, fifth and sixth, for example, or fifth and seventh, perhaps, uh, had had Sonoda not taken the medium tire gamble in Q2. <clears throat> uh, so, I think- yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of races like that over the season for everyone. Yeah. Though. Like yeah. it's, if, if you look at last season, just in the last kind of eight or six or five races, how much the pendulum swung. And if you, you know, look at that over the, the 23 we've got this season, I think every week a different team will be strong and a different team will be coming away thinking, Oh, if we'd only done this or, ruining a missed opportunity so you know I think for me it's there'll be a lot of that this season and I I think it'd be a shame if they held it too harshly against themselves because it was overall a really strong weekend One final thing I don't think we really need to worry much about Alpha Tauri not being in the fight I think they're going to be up there and I think the fact that Gasly got through on mediums uh, into, into the start of the race from Q2 and Yuki Snowden nearly did, and it was just. Because, I think it's just because he's a rookie that he didn't. In his first race, he was being considered to go through on mediums in qualifying because AlphaTauri had the confidence in him, and that is that is fantastic. So I think we're going to have we're going to definitely see a a really really cool fight between McLaren, Ferrari, and AlphaTauri, and I'm I'm all here for that because those are some of the raciest drivers on the grid. You're both right, but I also feel Alpha Tauri are most likely to be outdeveloped by McLaren and Ferrari across the season. So I think budget a good cap. start to the year to pick up points is more important. Yes, the budget cap. Wind tunnel cap. For me, I still see them dropping away. Is Alpha I... Tauri's career over? Whoa. <laughs> no. Well, I think because you saw last year, Alpha Tauri were well in the fight at the end of the season in good positions, more so than at the start, I'd say. Um, so I think no to that. It's not a question, but I'm mm. taking it as such. It's okay. You're wrong. Yeah, see. yeah, you idiot. Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> we already know that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of idiots, Nikita Mazapan. Uh, that's a spin, yeah. am I right? <laughs> <laughs> ha yeah, What a joker. Four or five spins throughout right. the weekend. He had three on Saturday, four on Saturday alone, one coming in the race. Uh, could it have been any worse? Yes. You could have yes. spun on Friday. You could have rated him a one in your driver rating. That would have been worse. I... Yeah, the reason I didn't was because he nearly collected Mick Schumacher in turn three at the, when he uh, crashed out. He but caught the he car didn't. there, yeah. So that's why I didn't give him a one. He yeah. caught the car because after he, losing he was, it in turn one. He was so close to hitting him. What could have made it worse? There we go. It could have been worse. So, yeah, it was awful <laughs> for him. He had a torrid weekend and it would have drawn no sympathy from most fans and... <laughs> Yeah, it was just bad. It was bad at the start and it was bad in the middle and it was worse at the end. And if the only saving grace is that you didn't hit your teammate when you crashed out on the first lap, third corner, that's a pretty low bar, I reckon. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, like the way in qualifying, he, to be fair, he was told by the team to overtake everybody, but he overtook everybody. And then at the first corner, spun, so none of them could do their laps. Was, um, was I, yeah, just, it's fun to laugh at, um, to be honest. Kind of, he, yeah. Two, he did three flying laps in qualifying, two of them he spun. Did he have brake by wire issues? He said he did. Am I being mm. too harsh? Who mm. knows? Maybe not. No. I don't think we are. No. I think as as I think Crofty said, he's not an F1 driver, he's allowed. Ted Kravitz. <laughs> Ted Kravitz. There we go. Don't watch Sky. Yeah, let's move. Moving on. That's why I yeah, let's move on. That's nice. Great idea, actually. Uh, another driver who had a very difficult weekend was Sebastian Vettel. It just seems to get worse and worse for him. Yeah, I mean, his testing was bad enough, but this was the, the nightmare continues. He he went out in Q1 due to the yellow flags, got five penalty points in the space of 12 hours, which is probably <laughs> a new record, I think. Uh, yeah, ah, difficult. I mean, this is the driver that got the quickest penalty in an F1 career. So, you know, he's it's, it's circular, which is nice. But no, it's... He's the new Maldonado. It's one of those that he's the... Well, he's the new younger himself. It, it's just one of those that it's... You see all of this optimism coming out of Aston Martin. It's great. And everyone's like, oh, seven green. It's woo. We love it. And that's all great. And then... You get testing and he's like, oh, there's, you know, there were some problems, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to the season. And then it gets to the season and it's the acid test and it just goes wrong. And it just feels such a shame, I think, above anything else, because I think everyone kind of wanted it to go well. And it's already on the back foot and he's, he's just continuing the form. It's not like, you know, he's come off a stellar season and it's just been a bad start. You know, it's not, say, Gasly, for example, it's, just a continuation, as you say, of the nightmare. And, you know, he does look happier within, he does look happier within the team, but on track, it's, yeah, still not great. It's so. a hard one to judge for the nightmare because of um, the, um, the what happened in qualifying um, is obviously, I think he probably would have got out of Q1, we can probably say, I, I think. And if he did, then he probably could have got to like 12th on the grid or something like that. And then he would have been in an ordinary strategy, which wasn't an attempt at a one-stop for some reason. He had an attempt at a one-stop, meaning that he was always going to be slow and always going to be on old tyres. So what does he do? He decides to brake too late and crash into Ocon. And that is entirely his fault. And when he said he changed his line, he's like, no, Vettel, you changed your line. The world didn't move suddenly. And he just, I don't know. It was just, yeah. He was on a bonkers strategy, to be honest. Um which is worth the gamble when you're starting last, um, but it didn't work. And he, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was better um, than if he was starting 20th at Ferrari. Um, I think, yeah, he, he got up to 14th on the first lap. That's actually was a really good start. But um, yeah, it all capitulated from there and went downhill. And mm, I still have no idea how the rest of the season is going to go for Vettel because it still feels like this was an anomaly weekend. But if, I wouldn't be surprised if he's flirting with, I don't know, 11th, 12th for the majority of at least the start of the year. I mean, Otmar Saf now has a thing against everything that's going on with, you know, low rate Otmar, as Nigel called him earlier to me, um, because of all of the, <laughs> the new rules. And it's like, 
Yeah. Yeah, those have hampered you because those are now the rules. Yeah, I, I think... Don't, I'm just going to touch... Oh, go on, Adam. Yeah. You, you go right ahead, Nigel. Touch on it. Oh, me? Okay. Thank you very much. I was just going to touch on the low rate thing because I don't... You're welcome. I don't understand that... Like, why are they complaining? Because no one before... I don't know. No one before testing for, right, this, these real changes are going to favour the high-rate cars. No one said that at all. They're only saying it, you know, after the first race or so, because of how the performance has gone. So, I just don't see how you can make a fuss about it. Because it's what's happened. It is what's happened. Um, if you didn't understand no... it, fool on you. But, yeah. That's it, really. Got to, they are probably got pissed off because... The thing that was making them good is what's now not there and is now making them not good because it's not there. So we copy I Mercedes car anyway, so it serves them right. All right. But the thing that made them good because they copied what was making Mercedes good <laughs> is now not there, so it's not making them good anymore. So they're gonna be they're gonna be um annoyed. Mm, I think you've I don't know, it feels like you've got to have stuff to say to me and you've kind of you've had Aston Martin take over and you've brought in Sebastian Vettel a four-time world champion and you've let Sergio Perez go and you've I don't know you've got to have something to blame it on and clearly you don't want to blame it on their own team or their own designers so he isn't Um, but yeah I, I think I think this weekend kind of reinforces a lot of what we saw at testing really I think for a lot of teams actually um, and obviously it's at the same circuit so could go to Imola in three weeks and it'd be different and they go to Portimao and it'd be different again but it does feel like they're on the back foot and kind of the they've taken a step back from where they were or everyone else has taken a step forward more than Aston Martin um, from where they were last season so mm, I think for me even if you kind of put aside the anomalous incidences on the race itself it it feels like the kind of ceiling of where we hoped Aston Martin would be has kind of dropped a bit for me yeah me too yeah I'd agree and I think Alpine as well they're kind of in a similar they've got a similar problem in terms of performance Esteban Ocon really struggled he never looks like threatening Fernando Alonso, Alonso, unfortunately retiring due to was it a sandwich bag, ready or some bin that went to his brake ducts? Yeah, yeah, a uh, bit of a shame for him because I think he would have scored points. But who had a sandwich bag? Definitely... I think to be <laughs> fair, no, no one's investigated um, McLaren buying about eighty-three meal deals and then dropping them all on the track <laughs> uh, during the track walk on Friday or Thursday or whenever they do it. So I don't know. I think. That raises a good point. What sandwich was it? Was it was it um something like? I was going to say raises raises an even better point of what is the best sandwich or what is the best meal deal combination? That's a Grand Prix. (laughs) Yes, the Grand Prix for eight quid. What's a meal deal in Bahrain? Yeah. Um. What what concepts do they have? What what supermarkets do they have in Bahrain? That's. Well, there's the sand. That's the kind idea. of challenge of trying to get um, as much the most expensive three pound meal deal 
which you can get like over six pounds on it. It's really good. The 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 one that Tesco do at Christmas with the like turkey and trimmings sandwich is elite too. That'd be my go-to if it's December. Yes, uh, I agree on that. <laughs> yeah, so there we sandwich talk, more food. Uh, Here's a question. Things. Um, <laughs> what do we think? Um, Fernando Alonso's favourite sandwiches. <laughs> I don't think he eats bread. Well, that's probably true, actually. What's his favourite wrap? That's bread. Something by Eminem, I think. <laughs> hey. And on that note, we've got to move on because there's no topping this. <laughs> no, so I think. Thanks I'd, for watching the podcast, everybody. Um, Adam's going going to perform at Reading Festival next year. <laughs> no, I, I. It feels like oh, Alpine no. are in a bit of trouble. We said before that they have a few question marks over them, and I think this just kind of reinforces that really. And both cars had obviously Alonso was out with a brake problem. Both cars had trouble slowing down, but on that wasn't really his fault it was more Vettel's but there you go I don't know I think it might be a bit of again like Aston Martin they might be in for a bit of a tougher year this year but at least Alonso seemed pretty understanding which is good Taib yeah. in our um, last lap writers react piece and big fan of the show and thank you for all your lovely comments Taib if you're listening which I hope you are Oh, but anyway, yeah, he's, 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 he's as well. It better be. Well, I mean, he's gone on this long. <laughs> if he's listened to all the episodes that we haven't mentioned him and then doesn't listen to the one that we have, that's a bit of a shame. But yeah, he he said he put something um, like he's, he might need more t- titanium in his jaw with all the clenching that he's going to be doing over the season. And I thought that was a fantastic line. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it could be quite accurate. Fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting that remember when Alonso got announced last year and everyone on social media was saying, Oh, why didn't they put Lunga on Ozu in? And, I, and I, I, I was saying on the podcast uh, how you know it was a fantastic move and Alonso will still be good. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what those people think now if you're watching or listening. Initially, I was one of them and I yeah. want, I wanted, well. I wanted them to put in a junior driver and I thought, what's the point of having an academy? And then I've kind of come round to Alonso over the season and got on the Alonso hype train. But I do think if this is Renault's, or, sorry, Alpine's performance, there we go, first one of the season can keep a running count. <laughs> if, the, if this is Alpine's performance level over the season, you know, I think we will see him getting a bit more frustrated and, he doesn't have a good record at underperforming teams, as we've seen many times. So he does. And, yeah, he, he, he does. does. He brings about half long, a second for the team's te- oh, for yeah, the yeah. team's long term <laughs> health is what I mean. So yeah, I, I you know, I'm I'm still pro Alonso, and as I say, I've come round, and you know, I really like that he's back in the sport, but I don't think we can really say, oh, it was a great job them bringing this in, and oh, there's no negatives to Alonso being in when it's been one weekend so far. Well, I think the positives were that he was at one point running in seventh place and they were doing a fantastic job with Alonso getting in the fight with the Ferraris and McLarens and ahead of a Ferrari and a McLaren, which he should not have been. So Q3, incredible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we don't 
I think it's going to be underappreciated how good a performance that was in the race by Alonso. And the fact that he retired, probably from a points-paying position, to be fair, he probably would have been about eighth or ninth. He was still scrapping with Sainz. So um, maybe 10th. Um, but, like, yeah, good good on him. Good result. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think he's... Uh, any doubts about his lack of speed or whether he's lost anything, I think they can be put to bed. And and Ocon is under big pressure now, especially in the next two to three races to build up his confidence, get some momentum going. It's going to be crucial for his season. In, in fairness, I think, or certainly my worry about Alonso coming in wasn't so much that he'd be fast, or at least, you know, looking back, maybe I'm misremembering, but I I think it was less to do with whether he'd be fast and whether he'd be competitive kind of straight away and more to do with is he the best driver for Alpine Renault going forward? And I think those doubts still persist a bit. And as I say, it's, it's too early to look at that. But yeah, as you say, he has any doubts that were there over his speed. He has certainly put those to bed. Mm. Yeah. I don't think there were doubts over his speed. For me, they weren't. For yeah. me, I, yeah, I, we can go on for this for hours, so I'm not going to speak. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Alpha Romeo in the segment that Freddie and Adam came up with about a month ago now called the Pessimism Stakes. Yay, the Pessimism Stakes! Go on, Pessimism Stakes! Pessimism Stakes! Pessimism Stakes! That's the first Pessimism Stakes. First pessimism stakes of the season. And we remember to do it. I know. It's incredible. We're talking about Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo? Who are they, Adam? They are the team that are being covered in the pessimism stakes, which we are doing now. Wow. Amazing. I'm so happy. Uh, So, in the pessimism stakes, we're going to talk about the fact that Antonio Giovinazzi qualified 12th. What a result. That was actually really good. He was a 10th off Q3. Fair play, Antonio Giovinazzi. Nice one. And they kept up that pace in the race. They were flitting around 10th or 11th with Raikkonen and Giovinazzi all race. Well done, Alfa Romeo. You are definitely not a backmarker team anymore. You are a midfield team. Hats off. Hats off. They they missed out. I think Freddie's gone a bit mad. Uh, we're not going to I was really happy with him. a little break. He, he, they missed out on the chance to score points, though, because they mm. did a really weird strategy with Raikkonen by because he was on, I think, the hard tyres in the middle stint. And then he was running well, and they decided to pit him quite early, which probably turned out to be quite costly. Giovinazzi also had a slow pit stop, similar to Bottas which put him out of contention, although I don't think Raikkonen was the quicker driver. Definitely in the first half of the race anyway, he was, uh, I think, if anything, Giovinazzi was in the way. But Alfa Romeo have confirmed that they're definitely much closer to the midfield. I can definitely see them scoring some points this year. Uh, But yeah, they might be slightly disappointed that they missed out on a small chance to get some points on the board in Bahrain. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those that on they'll probably come away from the weekend feeling a bit disappointed. But from, again, where they were last season coming into this year, they've confirmed that they have taken a step forward that we all hoped that they would. And yeah, it's... I think Giovinazzi, we've said it might be a big year for him. And so far, you know, he's doing everything right and his qualifying performance was overshadowed by 
Alonso and Sonoda, but it, it's a really quality drive and it's exactly what you want from a team in their position. So, yeah, looking forward. Going home to Italy next race. So that'll be fun for them. And yeah, again, another team that we'll need to see how they can or whether they can sustain this performance at different types of tracks. But if they can, it could be a very optimistic season. And me and Freddie were both shocked when Nigel's hot take with them to score 50 points over the Constructors' Championship. But that doesn't feel that far away now. You know, it does feel like mm. a, a It's still a big ask. <laughs> yeah, I think you were shocked when you said it as well, Nigel, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to the... Pirelli Gran Premio del Made in Italy, Adela Emilia Romagna um, race at Imola, which is... That's even longer than it's named last year. Yes, because they've thrown in Made in Italy, which in Italian means Made in Italy, because um, it's in Italy, which is fair enough, I guess. Um, but yeah, home race for Alfa Romeo, home race for Alfa Tauri, they're down the road. And yeah, it'll be good for them there as well. Um, I think, yeah, you're right, Nigel, they probably should have got snagged a point there, but they were fighting legitimately with the Alpines and the Aston Martins um, in that race. And I think that's, that's just such a positive for that team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and any other drivers, anyone wants to talk about, Adam, who have you got on your list that you want to debate and argue and discuss and rage with me and Freddie? No, I think, I think we've covered it. We, we touched think, on Gasly previously, uh, kind of a bit of a disappointing end to the weekend for him and he'll need to bounce back, but I've every faith that he will. I think the other thing I had noted down was the rate from the race was the safety car graphic in the little corner and it's changed to an Aston Martin. I didn't think about that at the time and then it came up and I was like, whoa, it's an Aston Martin. It's not a Mercedes SLS. And... It's, it's brilliant. GTR. I love it. I think that and Sonoda's cap are my two, or my second and third favourite things from the weekend. So, yeah, look out for that over the coming races. I enjoyed the race. Um, that was my favourite thing from the weekend. Um, the Aston Martin does look pretty and it sounds amazing. Um, as a yeah, safety the race car. was first and then the okay. second and third were the. Yeah. <laughs> George third Russell, 14th, I think, was mm. pretty good. Um, and a good qualifying session. He had a good, yeah, he had a good qualifying session to get to 15th. I, I was surprised that Williams got a car out of Q1. I thought it was going to be much harder for them this year than last year, um, with particularly with a better Ferrari engine and a much better Alfa Romeo. Um, but yeah, he did very well, I think, to George Russell. And 14th, admittedly, with Latifi, Gasly, Alonso, and um, Mazepin not finishing the race, he was only ahead of what Vettel and Schumacher, and so. Maybe it's actually not as good as I thought it was, as I said it. But it's, I think it's a 14th position that's not there because everyone else crashed out. He was still on pace to be around there in the race from what I was watching. So, yeah, everyone's got more to come apart from Haas and maybe Aston Martin. <laughs> so lots and lots of takeaways and lots yeah. and lots of... Questions still, and I've no idea where we're going to lie in Imola, to be honest, because who knows? It's three weeks away. Mm. There's enough oh, talking points, yeah. though. That's the great thing about this race. If it had been a squib, we'd be like, well, that's great. Then we'd spend three weeks talking about overhyping the F1 seasons again, and then it's not. It's brilliant, and we can all be really excited and 
keep talking about this race and yeah, looking forward to it. To be fair, I don't think last year we overhyped it. I think we all kind of thought Mercedes have got this. I think this year there was genuine, you know, signs though, weren't there? Mm. Last I wasn't year, really thinking about last year. Last year was a good opening race. And it was, I think last year's was one of the best opening races until this year's was even <laughs> better. So, yeah. I'd... Last year, the big question was, can we race, really? Mm. It was, we're in an entirely That's different one. lockdown situation. <laughs> oh, that's an even bit. That's still the question. Um, yeah. <laughs> but last year, yeah, with Corona, really. yeah. with COVID and everything last year, it was a bit, we, we entered that um, Austria race weekend with like six races on the calendar, something like that, maybe eight. Um, and that was it. So we didn't know where we were going. Whereas with this, we've at least got um, a season in front of us and that's everything's get hyped about. Absolutely. And what a season it could be. It could genuinely be a classic. Uh, and yeah, I, I certainly think it will be. And for me, it's going to be an absolute war between Alton <laughs> and Verstappen. I, I really do. It's going, to, it's going to come down to mistakes, moments like we saw on Sunday. Reliability as well, I think, could play a part, especially with Honda having a few problems with Perez. Uh, and Gasly, in fact, they both changed their control electronics and the battery. Perez, Freddy we've not spoken about Perez. Yes, we've Perez. realised that, as I said, yeah. Perez. Pit lane to fifth, pit lane to points. Hooray! Driver of the day, even though he shouldn't have been. But yeah, it was a fantastic... It was still a fantastic... Yeah. But yeah, it was a fantastic drive from Perez. And it, it, it's... It was the definitive F1 um, media move to be um, asking whether Perez had been overhyped after the qualifying session where he went out on mediums in Q2, but he just bounced Uh back resoundingly. And it looked like he might not even start. And to start from the pit lane and, yeah, as you say, come to get through to fifth was just a... Really fantastic drive from him. And I think he's shown, I think my only worry with him was he's been incredible, you know, he's been fantastic in the midfield, but can he make the step up? And I think he showed, again, only one race, but I think he showed very positive signs that he will be able to manage that perfectly. Already showed he's better than Albon. If he got into Q3, if he got into Q3, um, his pace relative to Max across the weekend was about three or four tenths. Um, so he would have been third on the grid, maybe even maybe even second out of push if he kept that gap to Verstappen in Q3 um, to Verstappen's final Verstappen's pole position time. So that's 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 that speaks volumes of where the Red Bull is this year, I think, as well as good for good for Perez um, if he had gotten to Q3. And um, yeah, I think the mediums are a bit of a struggle um, on for a lot of people um, looking at Sonoda as well. They both, him and Perez, both struggled on the mediums. It wasn't because they did bad laps. It was because of the tyre, that one. So I think um, I'm very interested to see what Perez can do when he gets into a Q3 session, which is a when, not an if. Yeah. Where did Gasly start his first race for Red Bull? Because Albon and Perez have both started last. He he um, he started races. his first race of Red Bull. I think he qualified either 10th or 11th and then to gearbox penalty and started about 15th or 16th and then made it through to about 10th or 11th 
Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I could feel that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, and it's it wasn't great, but it was it was far enough behind. It was at a track where you can at least be forgiven for not coming through the field. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Albon, he finished fifth from uh, last, just like Perez did. But the difference is, in 2019, Red Bull, in fact, the top three teams, including Red Bull, had a big advantage over the midfield this year. The midfield is a lot closer, so it's, it was a lot tougher for Perez to get to fifth place, I think, compared to what Albon had to deal with. So to and me, it's, was... already, it's already more impressive. Well, and in qualifying, he was only three temps slower than Verstappen in Q2. I mean, Albon was, I think, on only two or three occasions in the whole of 2020. Uh, it was three temps behind, yeah. Albon and Perez basically finished in the exact same place um, as Albon did in his first race because Al- because Norris broke down on the final lap and Albon would have been behind Norris and that's behind a McLaren and then behind the Mercedes and Ferraris, which at that point was the two best cars. And so Perez got to behind the McLaren that was behind the Red Bull and Mercedes. So his fifth place was the same as as um Albon's fifth place, just Albon's was fifth, not sixth, because Norris broke down at Spa, basically. Mm, I, I think, the field's closer. Now. I think that might have been o- it is, but it's, overstated a bit. I think there's still a decent margin better. between... I think there's still a decent margin between the Red Bull and the midfield, and again, something we'll see over the coming races, but in Q1 and Q2, it was like, whoa, you know, it seems a lot closer, and then in Q3, there was actually quite a noticeable gap, I thought. But the gap is in yeah. race pace, really, for me. In race pace, the um, you look at the the gap back yeah. to Norris and how quickly that grew um, from the top three. So that's that's where the the pace is, and that's where Perez specialises. He's not a qualifier; he is a racer, and he sets the car up for the race. So, not if, if you're starting in twentieth, your best bet is to set up a car for the race. So I think he, thanking his lucky stars, he did that. Yeah, it was a good debut, I thought. And like you guys said, considering he nearly didn't even start uh, to get 10 points, yeah, 10 points is a is a pretty good Red Bull debut, I think. I mean, he even took the steering wheel off the car, didn't he, I think? Um, I don't know. I don't know. He definitely pulled up and he was speaking to marshals. So, um, oh. But he clearly was able to get it started again. Clearly, he just needed... Maybe he took the steering wheel off and put it back on again. Maybe that's what he needed to do. I don't know. There's something that happened in that car that allowed him to keep going. And whether it was just he had to control or delete the car or something, they just told him on the formation lap and we didn't hear it, then that's the case. So they got it going. Fair play to Rebel, fair play to Honda. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I made a prediction a few weeks ago that Honda would stay in F1 after this year. And I'm standing by that prediction at the moment as well. I think that went nicely this weekend for them. And I think there's going to be a few conversations at the top of Honda coming ha- happening soon. Well, there's our topic for next week's podcast. Yeah. Uh, Honda. Um, yeah, and we will be back next week to talk about something, probably a bit of news, a bit... Uh, more championship predictions and how it's going to go. We might even have a guest or two over the next few weeks before the next race. But yeah, we're all just super excited to see what happens in F1 in 2021. It's been a brilliant start, arguably the best season opener that we have all seen since we've been watching F1. And 
we're just yeah super excited to talk about it discuss it write about it on various websites as well so a big thank you if you've been watching and listening and we will Monster see episode. you next time Bye. thank you everybody